1: Today's guest is Moira Harris, who's the Managing Director at High Grade Border Australia. And I've known Moira for a little while, but it was great to sit down with her and really learn her life story. And you will hear from her accent. Uh, She comes from Scotland, she grew up in a small town, and she's had a really interesting career where her first work uh, in the Defence Forces in uh, Scotland led her through the support of a great mentor to going back to university, completing some qualifications. And then she's worked both in Scotland and then here in Australia for a wide variety of organisations. Her sort of more substantive, most recent role with Wholesome uh, as a general manager, uh, a very large and a very successful business. And then after some health issues, uh, which she'll talk about in this podcast, she went and joined High Grade Water as their managing director. High Grade Water, uh, an Australian subsidiary of a very successful New Zealand family-owned business. And it's a great story. She reflects a lot on uh, people who have really helped her to develop her career. She talks about being a woman uh, working in a very uh, male-orientated industry. And uh, I think she's a very... Uh, insightful and thoughtful person. And for people who are looking to grow their careers, particularly professional women, I think she offers uh, a lot of um, insight and a lot of moral support. Uh, So a great chat. Now, Moira, when she was listening to the podcast and reflecting on it, she realized that she said something that wasn't quite accurate. When she was working at Humes, uh, they had 14 manufacturing sites And uh, she managed seven of those. So if you get to that point in the podcast, uh, that's uh, uh, an error that she corrected subsequent to our conversation, and I appreciate and thank her for that. Before we get into our conversation, for those people who are new to the podcast, let, let, let me briefly introduce myself. My name is Richard Triggs, and I'm the Managing Director of Arate Executive, and we're an executive search firm. We're based in Brisbane, but we work with our clients nationally, and we offer a very unique headhunting solution for 7.5% of salary package. So if you're interested in having a chat to me about that, perhaps you've got some vacancies in your team currently or some coming up, I definitely welcome the opportunity to do that. So sit back now and enjoy this conversation with Moira Harris. Well hi Moira, welcome to the Arate Podcast. Uh, why don't we just start with, tell us a little bit about your current professional responsibilities.
2: So I'm the Managing Director of High Grade Water Australia.
1: Okay, great. And uh, High Grade Water, I understand, is actually uh, head office in New Zealand, is that correct?
2: So High Grade Water Australia is a very small branch of a big tree called the Hines Group. Right. It's a very successful um, precast warehouse and distribution business in New Zealand. Right. And we're basically their start up okay.
1: in Australia. start uh, startup in terms of an entirely different market or just a new geography?
2: Um in, in New Zealand they're manufacturers. Right. Plus plus they have agencies. Mm-hmm. Um in Australia we currently are just warehouse and distribution.
1: Okay. So it's
2: a warehouse and distribution arm.
1: Right. And from what I understand The products that you're distributing here are not purely their products, they're different products
3: from around the world. No, no.
2: Most of our products are brought in from Europe. Right. Um, Very specialist solution products for water main, for um, surface drainage, you know, Horiton from Germany, Havla.
1: And so... uh are they in a similar sort of sector over in New Zealand or different sector?
2: Oh, it's the civil market. So the civil, right. the civil market. Um, whilst we in Australia, we deal with, um, obviously we have two branches. So we have a branch in Brisbane, we have a branch in Sydney. Uh, we deal with the plumbers. So mm. someone doing a, a residential will come to us for, for their needs. But so we also deal up with Sydney water. So right. in major couplings, major solutions okay. for for new works and maintenance.
1: Right, so when you say from the plumber, you're talking about they're just building one house. Yep. Uh, Right, right through to major uh, residential subdivisions um, and up into the utility space.
2: And our last, you know, our big projects, our last drainage project was M5. Okay. in Sydney. Okay. So we're now starting to build up a reputation in that project space, right. which is exactly where we need to be.
1: Fantastic. And uh, and so why did uh, this family in New Zealand want to start this business in Australia?
2: So John and Leonie, um, Heinz, are just an amazing couple. Uh, have built this business up since 1972 and is now one of the most successful businesses in New Zealand. They have branches in nearly every region, and I think it, moment they currently run at 40 branches plus nine manufacturing sites okay Um, they're I mean New Zealand they're landlocked you know you can only go so big sure but they're hugely successful
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: and the next big step is obviously the the bigger market in Australia
1: okay and so when you came into this role how far were they along the sort of the growth of this new Australian business
2: so we, we sort of discussed this at length um, we've been seven years in Australia, uh-huh. um, but we're still on the startup curve because when we first arrived in Australia, we were one person, right? no product range. It really was, let's just see what the market is. Okay. Um, we've slowly evolved from not just being distributors, we're moving into the specialist space. Uh-huh. So we're probably two years into our journey okay. of being the specialist. Um, one of the things that I've been very keen and working with New Zealand is as I'm bringing agencies on board, I'm bringing them for Australia and New Zealand. Right. So high grade in New Zealand and high grade in Australia are really starting to morph and look the same.
1: Okay. Um,
2: and have the same offer.
1: Right. And so what's uh, the sort of the size of the Australian business right as we speak in terms of number of employees and you know turnover things like that. Yep.
2: So we have about um, 20, f- and we don't have about. We have 25 employees. Um, In terms of um, revenue, I can't discuss that. Sure. It's a privately owned business. Yeah. Um, It's it's considerably bigger than I thought when I came in. Okay. Um, There is no um, pressure on us to have a a huge increase in our revenue. It's more around our gross margin and and going down that specialist route Mm -hmm. rather than just being a scattergun approach. Okay. It's quality.
1: And are you competing with other specialists or more generalists?
2: So um, there isn't anybody that's the same as us, mm-hmm. but there are generalists out there that have the specialist arm connected to them. Right. So the Reese with the Reese Civil. Right, the okay. The Clover with the Clover Civil.
3: uh
2: uh-huh. um, But the one clever thing that I wish I could claim it was me, but it wasn't, mm-hmm. um, we've secured the exclusive agencies for the, the top quality. Right of the valves and the top quality of the couplings coming into Australia.
1: And why do you think it is that these uh, top brands from around the world have decided that they're going to entrust distribution to high-grade here versus giving it to somebody else?
2: So the, the, um, the exciting thing and the, the thing that I found most um, interesting is most of our agencies are family-owned businesses. Uh-huh. Um, who have a strong connection with the Heinz family business in New Zealand. Right. We trade on being a family business, Mm -hmm. um, and we deal with the Havla, Mm -hmm. which, in Austria, who are a family business. So um, why do they entrust us? Because we have a proven record in New Zealand, Mm -hmm. and because they've come out and met the team, Mm -hmm. and we've given them confidence. Mm -hmm. There's obviously targets involved, um, but they're they're not they're a startup target,
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um,
2: so we're very lucky.
3: Mm.
1: And I know uh, you've come from a much larger corporate background, yep. and we'll talk more about that in, the, in a minute, but uh, you know, what do you see as being the real cultural difference between you know, what is a, a, a high-values-driven family business versus, say, a more traditional corporate-type organization?
2: Uh I don't... Y- I've been very lucky in my career that even the corporate companies I've worked to have had um, a, a small company feel because mm-hmm. they've been run regionally or, you know, they've come from a very value-based um, history. It's someone's money.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, when
2: I go to New Zealand and, and actually talk to the board, I'm looking at the people who are putting the money on the table. Right. So there's, there's that personal connection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean just about money, I'm talking about their future, their name,
3: mm-hmm.
2: we're, you know, we're growing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, I can talk about the Australian business, is I can put my arms around this business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to communicate the values or to guide, um, it's much easier mm-hmm. because there's just one voice. Mm-hmm. The downside of that is I hear every voice in the organisation. So, in a larger organization, you can have little, you know, you can have some dramas going on and and people just move on and they deal with it. Mm -hmm. In an organization such as this, it's very easy to be pulled into the drama, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but because I'm aware of that, Mm -hmm. I don't.
1: Right. So, you've developed some kind of... uh, uh, mechanisms yep. to, to keep you away from that and focused on, you know, the job at hand. I
2: need to know what's going on. Sure. But I have a very, I'm very disciplined around having protected hours in my diary. Right. That I step away from the business. Because we have, uh, you know, we have managers mm-hmm. to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a small business, it's very easy to be pulled into the everyday mm. noise, mm. which exists. We have grown pains. Sure. You know, everybody's got an opinion. Yep. Um, and my door's are always open. Uh huh. Okay,
1: great. Well, let's come back to talking more about high grade a little later in this mm-hmm. conversation. And uh, what I like to do is go back to where it all began. So, tell us a little bit about where you were born and you know your early life, mum, dad, brothers, and sisters, yep. and so on.
2: So, I was born in Singapore, okay. in Changi. Right. Um, my father was in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Um, he joined the Air Force to escape being put down the mines. Right. Because I come from a very small um, mining village in Scotland. Okay. Um, my parents separated. We moved back to Scotland, so single parent. Right. Um, my mother was a machinist, apparently night shift in a windmill. Okay. Um, in Scotland, and we stayed at my grandmother's house every night. Right for you know until we were teenagers
1: okay I had one year in Scotland when I was 10 in Dundee okay and uh, back in 1978 (laughs) and uh, I understand that Dundee hasn't changed a lot since then it won't have but it was very uh, very grey and miserable is my memory (laughs) yeah
2: it's a it's a so I come from Fife which is just across from Edinburgh it's the most glorious place when it's good. Right. And it's the we call it the driest place when it's bad. Uh-huh. Um, but when it's good it's just beautiful. Right. So it's not better than Australia. Yeah. It's just different.
1: Sure. Yep. And did you have brothers and sisters? So I have
2: two um, blood sisters. Okay. I'm the youngest. I'm the youngest of all the, the youngest. siblings. Okay. Um I have two blood sisters and I have five step siblings from right. various marriages and other uh-huh. things um all in scotland i'm i'm out here on my own right it's got its pluses and minuses yeah um yeah and that was my childhood Uh it was a it was a hard one Mm
3: -hmm. you know
2: we went through the minor strike um and i you know a single parent she brought us up as well as she could
1: right and uh and when you say uh she worked uh, at nights mm-hmm. whilst you were going through, I suppose, primary school or the yep. equivalent. And then when you got to high school, was was that still staying at home and going to a local school? No, no.
2: We, so we we all went to public school, right? Um, which was normal school yeah. um, in Scotland. It was a very good school, mm-hmm. but it was a it wasn't a fee paying school, and mm-hmm. we looked after ourselves sure. from the age of 13, 14... My older sister's ten years older than me. Right. So she'd left home by the time you know okay. I was there. Yeah. She just got out. Right. Um, and my next sister's a year older than me. Okay. So we of course didn't go on at all.
1: <laughs> and back in those days, what did you want to be when you grew up?
2: I never I always wanted to join the army. I always wanted to join the army. Um, so I had a a pretty rocky teenage life, so I was a ward of court, so I wasn't living at home, I was living on my own, going to school. Right, and had a room in a house. Mm-hmm. So I think I was looking for somewhere to go that gave you somewhere to live, yeah, and give you you know a, a sense of belonging. And do you so think you're also looking
1: for uh, you know some authority and discipline?
2: Yeah, that was probably the thing I wasn't looking for. Sure. This is probably the reason why I didn't.
1: Okay, join. right,
2: um, but. You know I when I was seventeen, I left school because mm. it just it was just too hard. Mm-hmm. I had good grades, good old grades
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, but but I wasn't hanging around. Right. I wanted to get out there and work and mm-hmm. earn some money. so my first job was delivering mail to the warships in okay. the nuclear submarine base Wow. wow. So, I used to get up at five o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. um, and work right through to three o'clock, and it was basically taking when people used to write letters to each other. Right. Taking mail around the warships.
1: And you were an employee of the Post Office? The Ministry of Defence. Okay, Defence.
2: So, so, the Ministry of Defence, right. I worked for the Ministry of Defence, which is probably the best job you could ever have when you leave school because you're not sitting behind a desk, you've got sure. the freedom to go and do things. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know it at the time mm-hmm. so from that I got an opportunity to be an admin assistant
3: mm-hmm.
2: for a, a gentleman called Brian Crabb um, okay. and Brian used to challenge me on a daily basis about my politics about my opinions about really push me like no one had pushed me before
1: was that because you were quite vocal about your own things? Yes. Yeah. Right, And okay. he would
2: challenge me He'd have a say, you know, he, he bought me an encyclopedia once to say, you know, just start learning about it before you start talking about right.
1: it. Right. So were you sort of a fairly radical person?
2: Um, I was vocal. Right. You have to be vocal when you're youngest sure. in a large family. Um, but what Brian did do is Brian um, encouraged me to get a scholarship to go to university. Okay. Um, through the Ministry events. mm mm-hmm. So, you know, it never occurred to me. I, no one else in my family had gone to university. Mm-hmm. It never so, occurred he was
1: to involved me. with the Ministry of Defence as well? He was
2: a project manager, okay. a high up project manager in the Ministry of Defence, and right. I was his writer, as uh-huh. they called it. God, it makes it sound old. <laughs> I was a writer, <laughs> uh, but he saw something that I didn't. Mm-hmm. So, I was very lucky to come across mm-hmm. Mr. Crabb um, and his wife, Muro. Because I ended up with a full scholarship from the Ministry of Defence, so they put me through university at night time. Okay. So I worked during the week, Yeah. and then I went to university for four years, um, three days a week at night time.
1: And what were you studying?
2: I did a Bachelor of Arts degree in business studies.
1: Okay, okay. Um, and, uh, and what happened from there?
2: So I worked for the Ministry of Defence. Obviously, you don't get scholarship and then get your degree and leave. Yeah. So I did various jobs, kick around jobs in mm-hmm. the Ministry of Defence um, because I w- I didn't want to move mm-hmm. from there. Um, and then I eventually moved into the private sector mm-hmm. as a contract manager, um, looking after commercial contracts.
1: And where were you based then?
2: So I was still based in Dunfermline. Uh-huh. Um, and it was a it was a great job. It was privately owned by. Uh, entrepreneur who was ruthless vocal um really hard to work with sometimes but absolutely fantastic to be around and just watch mm-hmm. what he was doing he gave me a lot of um opportunities
3: mm-hmm. so
2: no one had job descriptions right you had to just go and do what you needed to do mm-hmm. and you lived by it right so if you made a mistake you knew you'd made a mistake
1: and so what were some of the more interesting things you'd have to do then
2: so, you know, conservative, we design conservatives and new windows, um, so I'd go to the sales team, so I learned about how to motivate um, double glazing salespeople who are just like um, used car salesmen right. in the UK. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with used car salesmen, but right. that's how they're deemed, you know, just they get people to sign up. And just watching the the motivational and the way that they pump people up before they go out, Right. and you think, oh no, I couldn't do that, I right. just couldn't do that.
1: These were people who would go around the suburbs and knock on people's yes. doors and
2: yeah right yeah, it was um and yeah, there was you know rumors of smashing windows so new windows would have to be required, and yeah. things like that right. um, but it was a it was a a baptism of fire and it was a really good opportunity and when I decided to migrate to australia mm-hmm. um I resigned from that role and whilst I was waiting on um, my house selling and things like that they, they continued to employ me mm-hmm. so they gave me you know, a real security blanket and gave me the worst possible thing you can give to someone who's migrating the promise of a job right. if it doesn't work out because uh-huh. you don't want that no. You've got to be all in.
1: Well, what's that old Viking uh, expression where you have to burn your boats? Yep. You know, you burn your boats so you literally, there's no way to escape. The only way is forward.
2: That's that's my belief. Right. Um, so, yeah, I didn't want anybody to say it or fail because it never even crossed my mind it would fail.
1: And why did you want to emigrate to Australia?
2: So I came out here in 2000 with my, my best friend um, for the millennium. Right. Um, I'd reached a point in... Scotland that I'd paid my house Mm off you know career wise I was earning good money Yep. I was bored right I was I didn't want to stay there I hadn't had a gap year I hadn't traveled when Mm -hmm. I was younger Um, and I decided you know I I think I should try this I don't know how I came to the decision naivety Mm -hmm. that I could just do it Mm
1: -hmm. and I did so you emigrated uh, in two thousand, or you came and had a look. I
2: migrated at the end of two thousand, w- the end of two thousand. So I migrated seven months after I applied to migrate. Right, and
1: you hadn't been here previously. No. Right. Okay. And where did you wash up?
2: So I originally, uh, first of all, came to Sydney, North yeah. Ryde, um, stayed with some friends, decided that wasn't for me, mm-hmm. um, and then came up to the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. Palm Beach, okay. thought, thought I'd died and gone to heaven, uh-huh. um, and my, my, I took a year of travel mm-hmm. across Europe and Asia, and then when I arrived, I was going to work in SeaWorld Car Park, I didn't want a bar off the corporate jobs, right. I'd done it all, I didn't want to do it, and I was pretty much enjoying life on the Gold Coast.
1: Uh-huh. I imagine the uh, job opportunities in the uh, SeaWorld Car Park could a bit limited.
2: Yeah, it was, it was, um... The jobs were limited, full stop. Sure. Um, You know, I learned about the Gold Coast, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so, and also I started missing weekends. Right. So you really do miss weekends when Mm -hmm. you're not actively doing anything Monday to Friday. Right. And decided that yeah, no, I was probably a little bit too young to retire.
1: Okay.
2: Um, and financially. Sure. You're not going to do it, but it was a pipe dream. And so, what
1: was the first? uh, So my first back in the corporate world
2: um, was Amcor. Okay. So I came into yeah. Amcor, um, knew nothing about cover boxes or packaging, mm-hmm. um, but I joined them as a, a team leader mm-hmm. in their customer service. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a cadetship that you could actually go out and learn the manufacturing process, mm-hmm. so I joined that. Um, and I was customer service manager within 12 months.
1: Right. And how long were you with Amcor for? So I was
2: with them for three years.
1: Mm-hmm. And that was on the Gold Coast?
2: No, no, that was actually in Rockley. So I'm ah. I had to leave my beloved uh-huh. Gold Coast right. and come out. Um, again, steep learning curve, but fantastic business to work for. Mm-hmm. And if you, I learned quickly, if you put your hand up, the opportunities are there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I had to do my cadetship at night time, so I'd do my full day's work, mm-hmm. and then I'd do the three hours. Right. But you've got to work for what you get.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, how much of uh, that do you think was uh, traits that you brought from your own childhood or from just the Scottish disposition or, or you know, where do you think, uh, you know, your desire to really put your hand up and throw yourself into opportunities um, began?
2: Um it's got to be from my childhood. It's got to be from watching my mother, who couldn't have enjoyed working night shift. You mm-hmm. know, she was a young woman at the time. Um, of, you know, she had to do it, and I didn't have to do it. So I, I've always known how lucky I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Always.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I've also always striving to gain new exer- experiences mm-hmm. um, and to see how... Bu- how the best I possibly could be,
3: mm-hmm.
2: push myself.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I don't know. I mean, it's just your makeup. Sure. My sister's exactly the same. So my older sister, after I graduated from university, went back to you know went to university, mm-hmm. and graduated in finance, and has got a fantastic job in Scotland in mm-hmm. finance. Um, it really pains me to to think that people. Have abilities out there, and they're not given the opportunities mm-hmm. that I got given.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although it sounds as though you created a lot of those opportunities yourself. I
2: did. Yourself. I did, and I'm not going to be humble about mm-hmm. them because I, you know, I I wanted to be out partying, and I didn't go. Right. Um, I made up for it yeah. <laughs> in my 30s, but right. we won't mention that. Yeah. But yeah, so no one else was putting their hand up. Okay. And I and I and I couldn't work out why.
3: Mm.
1: And is that something is uh, also reflective in your um, non work life? I mean, do you really like to do adventure sports or do things that really push your boundaries there too? Or is it pretty much. Uh it's
2: pretty much in my professional right, life. Okay. Um, I love reading, which is quite sedate. Um, you know, I go to the gym, I like ski and I like all the rest of it, but let's face it. Up until now, I haven't had a lot of spare time. Mm-hmm. I now have a lot of spare time, and I'm not going to throw myself out a plane, right? Just in case that cuts short
1: the time that I've got. now. <laughs> fair enough. And so, uh, um, Amcor for three years, yep. And then, what motivated you to want to change then?
2: So, um, I was approached um, in a conversation with Capro Aluminium. Mm-hmm. They were building one of their super plants up in. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Brisbane, and they wanted me to come across as a national customer service
1: manager. Okay. So that was really your sort of um, defined area of expertise, customer service.
2: Customer service, but it wasn't um, a service centre, so there was, you know, it was um, creditors, it was design, it was Mm -hmm. planning, Mm -hmm. so it wasn't the, the, the customer service of a services industry it's a customer service of a manufacturing sure. which is a little bit different Yeah. Um, Capro to grow in Amcor I would have I wasn't ready to to move to Melbourne or mm-hmm. Sydney I, I, I wasn't ready to do that mm-hmm. and I wasn't at the level that I thought I could do that mm-hmm. um, and the Capro you know this was a manufacturing site that they were building in Brisbane. Mm -hmm. And you know, little did I know that the commission stage would go on for two years and it would be the hardest job I've ever done. Right. But um, that gave me access to the board Mm -hmm. and it gave me access to the senior management team.
1: Why did that role give you access to the board?
2: So the customer service role, um, whether or not it was the role or it was me, Mm -hmm. but because we were going through a huge transition, and because you know we had all the general managers in from all our customers talking to them about issues that we had, mm-hmm. I was meeting with them because mm-hmm. I was the one that knew the detail mm-hmm. about their business. Okay. So, um, yeah, the 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 there wasn't an exec meeting that I wasn't at. Okay. Um, unfortunately, there wasn't a customer that didn't yell at me either. Right. But. I actually, it, uh, it, it, it's the worst job I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And it's the best job I've ever had. Because it gave me the courage to then mm-hmm. step into the exec.
1: Worse because of just the, the pressure?
2: Um, because there was no answers. Okay. There was no answers. You know, it, to commission a plant, there is no quick way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, we turned off the machines down mm-hmm. in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And the new machines weren't ready. To. Uh-huh. So w- where do these people go?
3: Sure.
2: Um, I... I don't like that situation that there is no, not even a 10% solution, mm-hmm. there is a zero solution. Mm-hmm. And I find it very frustrating mm-hmm. and damaging to me personally mm-hmm. because it's my credibility, mm-hmm. it's my answers. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got through it okay. and capital's making money now, so, you know, Happy I to believe that I was part of that.
1: Good. And so uh, where to from there?
2: So then I moved on to Smorgan Steel, mm-hmm. um, a week before one steel. Bought them, right? So I moved across to Smorgan Steel initially as their um, development manager, developing mm-hmm. new market sites. Mm-hmm. So having a look to see where the next Bunnings was getting built. Okay. Therefore, because Bunnings are really good at this, yeah. they identify where the growth areas are, mm. they build it, and people grow around it. Yeah. Um, so my job was to expand their footprint
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, to sell reinforcing steel and all the accessories again. Mm-hmm knew nothing about reinforcing steel Mm -hmm. but it wasn't about that it Mm -hmm. was about being able to go out and convince and tell a story Mm -hmm. and and build up yep this is the right place to go Mm -hmm. this is where we're going to go um and i was in that role for 16 months Mm -hmm. um and i was promoted to the sales and marketing manager Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that was down in melbourne so i was then at the level that you know the relocations kicked in, okay. The you know, and my husband and I moved to Melbourne,
1: right? And uh, so small country town to Gold Coast, which is kind of a small country town, yep. to Brisbane, then to Melbourne. Uh, was that quite a culture shock?
2: I hated it, I right. hated it initially. Yeah, um, we moved to Melbourne in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember standing waiting on a tram, mm. uh, it was pouring my rain, it was cold, thinking, I've moved back to Scotland. Yes. I've come the full circle, yeah. except I'm still in Australia. Mm.
3: Um,
2: but we were there for seven years, okay. and it was good to us. Right. We had a good time, mm-hmm. but it was always the plan to come back to Queensland. Mm-hmm. Brisbane's home.
1: And uh, all of that time in Melbourne with the same employer?
2: No, so um, I was with um, Ariam. Um, and this is one of the surprises that I've had in my career. So we think about succession planning, and I was involved in succession planning with um, ARIAM. I didn't realize that other companies did succession planning for external candidates. Mm -hmm. I was approached by Humes when an opportunity came up, the general manager role in Victoria of their precast business, Mm -hmm. um, and asked whether or not I would be interested in that role course I'd be interested in it all. Fantastic, you know, I've always liked manufacturing, but hey, this was this was exciting stuff. Right,
1: because of the scope and size of the business. Yeah,
2: and, and, and the fact it was something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why they'd approached me is I'd been on the succession plan. I'd been identified as a candidate that mm-hmm. they would be interested in if a vacancy came up. Wow. Like, wow. I didn't even know companies did that. Sure. Um, and what a compliment.
1: Yeah. And was that through a third-party recruiter or directly by them? That was
2: directly by them. Right.
1: And so did you have the opportunity to find out how you got on their radar? So I did.
2: I, so I, I, when I was the sales and marketing manager for um, ARC, my biggest customer was Humes. Okay. I did them no favours. I negotiated hard. Right. Um, but I serviced them. Mm-hmm. I made sure that everybody looked after them. And I dealt with their senior executives. mm mm-hmm. um, yeah I, I they must have seen something mm-hmm. um, i will i 'm a person in my watch if i say i 'm going to do something then i' do it mm-hmm. um, i don 't run away when things get
3: tough
2: mm-hmm. um, I'll stand alongside of you
3: mm-hmm.
2: i won 't stand behind you uh, but yeah i've never actually sat down and asked them why
1: right and do you know how long before they invited you to join you were, had been part of this? External talent management program.
2: Um, I believe around two years.
1: Okay. Oh, so it's not something that happened overnight. No, then.
2: I believe around two years. Right. Um, but initially, you know, I was happy in my role. Mm-hmm. We would have conversations, not at, at a social level, and yeah. I'd talk about. I'm very passionate about any business that mm-hmm. I. So they thought she'll never, she'll never move. Mm-hmm. But then we had a change of general managers. Right. The time was right. Yeah. Because you know people come in, to change yeah. management. Um,
1: There's a saying in recruitment: uh, people join companies, but they leave bosses. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So yeah, I I joined Humes. Uh huh. As okay. a general manager for Victoria, South Australia, and Tasmania. Right. So, biggest job I'd ever had. Mm hmm. You know, you know, hundred million dollar business, two hundred people, two hundred employees. Mm hmm. Um. Tough market. Yeah, uh, and and didn't really know anybody in the industry, but I had a huge amount of support from my peers in mm-hmm. Humes that were excited that someone from outside had come in, so we could share both our learnings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a Victorian GM for around eight months, mm-hmm. and then they gave me New South Wales okay. as well as Victoria, okay. and Tasmania, and right. South Australia. So. That was 14 manufacturing sites. Wow. Uh, Huge team underneath me. Mm -hmm. So I'm not red deer running Mm -hmm. around. Huge team of talented, Mm -hmm. fantastic people Mm -hmm. underneath me. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was was a big gig. It was a Mm -hmm. big job. Mm
1: -hmm. And as you're being promoted up through different levels of responsibility and size of remit and so on, were you looking at your own skill set and thinking, "Well, if I'm going to make a success of this, I need to learn more about finance, or I need to learn more about HR." Were there? Were were you proactive in terms of building your foundation of skills? Yes,
2: yes. So you know, I um, in my business studies, I, I've done P and Ls and I've done the financials, but, but um, you know, I went out to external courses. I went mm-hmm. to the Chartered Institute. Um, for accounting and looked at what they were doing. Mm-hmm. I went down to Mount Mount Eliza. Yeah. Um, did a marketing mm-hmm. with with these really, I always go in this room, I don't know if it's a female thing, but I always go in a room and think everybody else is cleverer or they're right. a more excited because these were Google executives, you okay. know, talking about this and that, but they're not. Sure. They they just have a different narrative. Yeah. So Mixing with other industries, mm-hmm. I've been very, very proactive mm-hmm. in making sure that I don't have just my own little puddle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I stay in. Um, and
1: I think I saw in your CV, uh, you went and did some coaching relating. Uh, yes, so I've
2: well. I've had a you know I've had a, a executive coach um, for three years now. Okay. Um, who tells me as it is. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh,
2: and it and it, it can be confusing sometimes. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I get feedback, um, you've got to remember that feedback, you you can't disregard it, but you can't take it on as a hundred percent either, because mm. it's someone else's opinion mm. of you. Um, and I've received a lot of feedback about. Um, my accent right. and how I need to soften it because it can come across as really hard mm-hmm. or my approach where it's, you know, I want to, let's get it done and, yeah. you know, very proactive I need to calm that down because it makes other people feel uncomfortable mm. and when I then I would go to my coach and tell him he'd almost, mm. head would explode and yeah. say, but that's who you are,
3: Yeah.
2: if you start changing, people will mm. realise that that's not authentic, that's not that's mm. you are, so it's it's a good gauge, actually, for mm-hmm. you following down a trap of going the wrong way.
1: Definitely. And do you think also, uh, you know, is that old, um, uh, old-fashioned old belief that for a woman to succeed in a man's world, she needs to be masculine and therefore yes. if you want to be, you know, perceived as more feminine, then you need to change, you know, these intrinsic traits of you to be more... Was that a part yep. of that too?
2: Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about this, because um, I've worked in an extremely male-dominated sure. industry, you know, the steel industry, mm-hmm. the, you know, the aluminium industry. Um, it's not been unusual through my career to be the only female mm-hmm. in the room. I've been extremely lucky um, that I've always had very strong male support and mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they, they assimilate. Everyone wants to assimilate. You know, mm-hmm. you can watch new candidates coming into a business and within a week they're dressing the same as the other people, you know, that are in William Boots, mm-hmm. yep. the jeans and the top. That's fine. They want to fit in. I can't fit in mm. to that because that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I refuse mm-hmm. because I'm Moira. And
3: mm-hmm.
2: But there's pressure for you to, to simulate.
1: Or alternatively... It becomes a unique selling proposition. Which I
2: found it is. You're loud and proud. They remember you. Yeah. You know, they remember you. Um, But the thing is, everybody talks about, you know, quotas and token Mm. and this. Yep, that might get you through the door. Mm. But it quickly falls away if you don't perform.
1: For sure. And in your career, did you witness a lot of discrimination against other women? Uh, and think to yourself, well, how was I not affected by that, or or did you feel that the I suppose the, the opportunities that were shown to you were pretty much across the board?
2: Yeah, I don't. I, I think you know in my last job in my last role, I was one of thirty six general managers. Mm-hmm. I was the only female. Mm-hmm. Um, and slowly, other females were coming in. But again, I listened to one of your podcasts, and I and I, and I actually believe it. Out of all the CVs and the resumes, when I would advertise, I would get no female Mm. applicants. Mm. I got one female applicant in Victoria for an account manager role, and she is an absolute star Mm. and has moved through the ranks really quickly. Mm. But she's my one and only Mm. applicant Mm. as a female. So it was difficult. Because if we're not applying for the jobs, we're not going to get them.
1: Exactly right. And uh, you've obviously, I talk about this a lot on my podcast, particularly with female guests, because uh, uh, I would say as an executive recruiter, in almost every instance, it is extraordinarily rare that a client says to me, we don't think a woman would succeed in this role. In fact, it's almost always the reverse. We would love to see great female representation on the shortlist. list. I'm just uh, finalising recruiting a CEO for a membership organisation uh, in Sydney. The incumbent is a, um, a, a female CEO. Uh, they would have loved to have seen a strong representation of women on the shortlist, and unfortunately I could only put one on there. Yep. Uh, and uh, I think you know there needs to be a lot more education and a lot more support of women saying, take a risk. You know and put yourself out there uh, but I also think another thing was and it's funny because I, I, I wrote a blog about this probably two years ago is that as the workforce ages a lot of women who took time out of their career to have families are coming back in and they've still got a huge runway so you know if you were coming back in at 45 and retiring at 55 it's different to coming back in at 45 and retiring at 75. So I think we, you know, this whole gender diversity thing's just going to become uh, old news. Um, I,
2: I actually think so too, because one of the, the things that, that part of Hume's, are, uh, I was so lucky to be part of the wholesome graduate intake program. Right. Um, and the graduate intake program, you know, you put your hand up for graduates, it was great labor, you know, yeah. bring them in, highly educated. So Super efficient, mm-hmm. really, really confident, yeah. and more than 50% female, mm-hmm. they're not going to not apply for jobs. Mm. They don't see why they shouldn't apply for jobs. I so think
1: then it's the other side of the coin, which is how do we retain them? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yep. So, you know, we we do a lot of things, and we were talking about it um, here, because we have um, no female customer-facing
1: right. people. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, now I'm not going to possibly discriminate and say we're going to hire a female,
3: Mm.
2: but I really am going to start looking at how we're not attracting, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: because we're flexible, we're a flexible employer, you know, you don't need to be here at 7.30 in the morning, Mm -hmm. you don't need to, we're very flexible, it would suit someone Mm
3: -hmm.
2: who wanted to keep their career going, Mm -hmm. but needed that flexibility. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so at what point did you get back to Queensland?
2: So, um, in two years ago, three years ago, three mm-hmm. years ago, so Humes have built a super plant, it's like my history repeating all over, out at Ipswich mm-hmm. in Queensland, $120 million, bigger, Im- biggest investment made in Australia by Humes, and they asked me to come up to Queensland to be the general manager for Queensland and mm-hmm. oversee the team that were doing
3: that. Mm-hmm. Huge
2: part in the back and I just wanted my hands on her. She was just, she's beautiful. <laughs> and it was also, again, wow, they've given me this. Mm-hmm. You know, they've given me this. Um, and it was Townsville and Rockhampton. And I'd always promised my husband we would move back to Queensland. So it was like the gods were just shining mm-hmm. a light on
1: us. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and we moved back to Queensland. Mm-hmm.
1: And then you stayed in that role for about another three years?
2: So we stayed in that role for two years well i've been here yeah so two years right um loved every minute of it mm-hmm. it was challenging mm-hmm. um but i built a really good team mm-hmm. Um, got epswich meeting all its commissioning numbers mm-hmm. uh yeah it was it was a really good move for me mm-hmm. because my husband was desperate to get back to Queensland, um, so he no longer shows me the temperatures on his phone every weekend when we we're in right. Melbourne and it was rainy. Yeah, um, and he's got you know he's got a job that he really enjoys now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was all going well.
1: Fantastic. And then uh, we were talking before we started the podcast. This opportunity came up because of a, a previous uh, colleague or you know yep. somebody from that Hume's business.
2: So a lot of people have questioned why I would leave. Um, one of the top jobs in Queensland in manufacturing. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, and Richard, you and I spoke about, you know, whether or not I was going to talk about illness and things like that. Um, I was di- diagnosed with breast cancer in 2017, um, April 2017. Wholesome looked after me 100%. There was no question. Fantastic business. Um, but I did a lot of reflection which you do, Mm -hmm. Um, I worked all the way through, Mm -hmm. and not because I'm a martyr, but Mm -hmm. I needed an anchor, Mm -hmm. I needed something that was normal, rather than this oncology nightmare that you're going on, but I did a lot of reflection about what I actually wanted to do, and I was just, I wasn't being tested, it was, was, I had a great team, Um, I was too far removed, Mm
3: -hmm. I wasn't
2: in I was enjoying it, but I, I couldn't see how I could grow it anymore. It mm-hmm. was an established garden.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, mm. And yeah, and then we had a, a fatality in our business. Mm-hmm. Tony was killed at the same time as I had breast cancer. And I decided I needed a change. Right. The, you know, I've always been, love my work, love getting up in the morning, very challenging. But I realized I wasn't being challenged the mm-hmm. way I wanted to be challenged. Mm-hmm. And again, the god shining, I met um, the ex, the well, was current CEO of Heinz, who had done business with when he was the EGM of Humes. Um, and we were just talking about me and my health and how I was feeling. And I said, you know, I think I'm ready for a change. And he said, well, have I got a right. great offer for you? Yeah. Um, and here I am.
1: Right. Now, uh, before we get into that, for those executive job seekers who are listening to this <laughs> podcast, a very uh, poignant question. So, Moira, how many of your roles, beti- since you've been in Australia, have you received from applying for an ad on Seek? None. None. It's you know you've uh, it's been through a client relationship or a previous relationship with a colleague or whatever it might be, and and you know I've written a book called Uncover yep. the Hidden Job Market. And I preach this and preach this and preach this and here is a perfect example uh, and a very common example, actually, people don't take the time to look back through their CV and go, well, actually, how many of those jobs did I get from applying through an ad and having to deal with a pesky recruiter? None, you know, yeah. and uh, I think that, uh, um, I, you know, it comes back to what you were saying about taking a genuine interest in your clients and wanting them to succeed and and through your commitment to you know delivering excellent yep. um you know uh outcomes for your own employer but you know the your external stakeholders it's created all this opportunity for you and uh and i think that that is in um it's really important to uh you know to to reflect on that mm-hmm. because very few people do um uh so you come into high grade managing director australia mm-hmm. what's the mandate?
2: So the mandate is for us to not be the biggest in Australia, but be a very specialist, stay in our own lane, know exactly what we need to do Mm -hmm. in the water main um, and drainage. I'm also a member of the Heinz Group exec team. Mm -hmm. So I spend three to four days a month in New Zealand trying to see synergies between Mm -hmm. the two businesses Mm -hmm. um, and obviously report to the board who are very interested in their investment. Um, But the mandate is slow and steady, conservative growth by building up our customer base that mm-hmm. won't go anywhere else.
1: Mm-hmm. And is that, you know, you, you've you said a number of times, you know, I got bored and I felt that it was um, an established garden. Um slow and steady wins the race, is that exciting for you in a different way?
2: I've interpreted that a little bit different, slow and steady, right. you know, instead of doing it in, in 10 years, we'll do it in five years. Right. Um, so and you've got your about, own yeah. agenda. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it, but the thing is, I don't want to say, I don't want to give myself across as being bored. It's not bored. I realised when I was sick that you have to do something that actually excites you. Mm-hmm. And you have to be challenged. hmm and I needed to be challenged again
3: mm-hmm. because
2: I just was in the slipstream,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, fantastic opportunity but I just had a moment, mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody does have the moments. Mm-hmm. Um, have I regretted it? On occasion, mm-hmm. um, but I don't mean that as a deep regret mm-hmm. but just sometimes you know as a managing director of a small business, sometimes you've just got to do it. Yeah. You know, you've yes. got to do it. You can't look around looking for, you know, the corporate life that someone else is going to do. Yeah. Um, and that's quite confronting when you're really busy and you're, you're focused on strategy and you still haven't booked your flights for tomorrow. Right. Or you forget that it's a bank holiday on Monday or, uh, in in Melbourne and you've booked meetings. Or, right. You know, back to basics. Yeah, sure. <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: yeah. It's not quite leaking envelopes, but it's not far away. yeah. Right. Um,
2: but I think it's, it's been exactly what I needed.
1: Oh, that's great. And, uh, you know, you uh, particularly when you are talking about coming back here uh, for this new plan, I was like a she, you know, referred to this yep, plan as a she. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's awesome. But, I mean, this is not a manufacturing business. No. This is a distribution business. So, um, you know, how have you come to peace with that? Uh, and, you know, what do you see as being, the, you know, the main difference of attention?
2: So I haven't ruled out going back into manufacturing, mm-hmm. um, and if, if and when not if, when we're ready to grow into the manufacturing space in Australia, mm-hmm. then then that's a great attraction to mm-hmm. me. The worst possible thing that happened to me initially was I realised I didn't have those cost levers that you have in manufacturing. Right. If you've got, if your revenues down, you ramp up, yeah. get the variances down, and you've got that cost lever. There is no cost lever yeah. in distribution. Um, it's all or nothing yeah so in in terms of adding more tools to my toolkit Mm -hmm. this has taught me more Mm
3: -hmm.
2: about just what we need to do what strategy how we need to just focus on
3: Mm -hmm. where
2: we need to go select our clients really really carefully Mm -hmm. because we we can't get distracted on where we're going to go and then service them but yeah I've learned more about business because I'm left on my own I'm you know I'm in Australia We've got the ditch, yeah. which is a good thing and a bad thing. Um, so yeah, that was the biggest shock to me. You know, mm-hmm. if we were having a bad month. You'd ramp up, Ipswich, ramp up some tonnes, mm-hmm. and, and you'd be able to cover your costs. You can't do that here.
1: because you've, it's more a commodity product sale. It's
2: it's it's a it's not a commodity product sale, but it's a. It's, it's, it's in stock, or, or it's right. spoken and made, and yeah. um, we have no controls over the manufacturing costs, mm-hmm. and the market's the market,
3: mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you
2: just got to work through that. Um, the other thing is, as I've said it before and I'll say it again, every voice is heard, so you, every decision that you make, you hear 25 opinions back.
1: Mm-hmm. From the storm and from to the everyone, salesperson. Which is
2: fantastic. Yeah. But it can be distracting and it can be very confronting.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so what do you do? Uh, you mentioned that you loved reading. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of you can get a little bit insular and in that, as you said, you're here on your own and uh, you are busy booking flights and putting out <laughs> fires and so on and so forth. How what do you do to invest in, you know, growing yourself professionally?
2: Um so I obviously read, listen to your podcast. Oh, uh,
1: and many others, I'm and sure. I, and
2: I talk to you. Yeah. Um, I am interested in, in um, industry forums, workshops. Mm-hmm. I do keep um, in touch with a lot of my peers. Mm-hmm. Um, I make sure I'm not isolated here. I also have an incredibly supportive team in New Zealand mm-hmm. who come across to make sure. Right. Yeah, so my peers don't just leave me here, mm-hmm. they'll come across just to, just to tell us what's going on in their business. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can see how you could be isolated mm-hmm. in this role, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to allow myself to mm-hmm. do it because I've got to this role by networking, mm-hmm. making sure people know what I'm doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't want this to be the last step.
1: Sure. And as well as looking at what the uh, the parent companies in doing in New Zealand, are you looking at comparable businesses, uh, either in Australia or internationally, and looking for world's best practice?
2: Nothing's nothing's off the the table. Right. Um, our, my team here travel a lot internationally,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, into Asia, into Europe. I haven't as yet, and the reason why I haven't as yet is I needed to work out what the Australian business. This is a, again a whole new industry to sure. me. I've never been in water main or surface drainage. I've only now stopped embarrassing myself by right. asking really silly questions. Yep. I'm now ready to go right. and, you know, see comparable businesses elsewhere. I,
1: I think one of the interesting things for this space, which would have to be playing in the back of your mind, is, you know, manufacturing moving towards 3D printing and uh, the effect that that will have. Yep. Um, I, was, uh, I have a business coach and I have a personal coach. I said a business coaching... Uh, board meeting a couple of weekends ago and unrelated industry but um, there was a kitchen cabinet maker there uh, and you know on a good week they might be able to bang out five kitchens and there is a new plant being built on the Sunshine Coast that can bang out 1500 mm. kitchens uh, a week through robotics and, and so on and so forth that must be a massive game changer in this
2: space oh, I think it but the, the one um, saving grace for, for us is we're part of this such progressive um, business called Heinz, mm. who put all the money back into the business and mm-hmm. um, who have just built a brand new $80 million plan in Auckland mm. um, with the newest technology. So I'm not frightened of what -hmm. what can come in now, whether or not it's in Australia or if it's offshore or, you know, the 3D printing, we're already using that to to put together, you know, our patents to send to the foundries. Mm -hmm. So we're embracing it, but, yeah, manufacturing is a different space now. Mm -hmm.
3: Definitely.
1: And so uh, the five-year plan, you've Mm -hmm. got an idea of what the business hopefully will look like in five years. Um, uh, What are you excited about?
2: I'm just excited because I'm about... So we're two branches at the moment. We're just we've just appointed someone in Melbourne um to go there. We cover the whole Australia. So, you know, it geographically spread, we don't need to, you know, we don't need to grow. What I'm excited about, the people that have been in this business for the last four years, three years, two years, have worked so hard and they're so close mm. and we can see it. Mm. We can see it and then what do we come then Mm -hmm. and what do we come then because we're not going to stay in this lane. Mm -hmm. So we have two strategies. We have our stay in a lane strategy, Mm -hmm. which um, everybody bar me in Australia, that's our strategy, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. Outside of that part of the exec team in New Zealand, we have our breakout strategy. So what does it look like? Because I don't want this business distracted Mm -hmm. until we actually achieve our growth that we want. Um, So you asked me what it looks like in five years. I'm excited in the fact that I don't know, Right. it's not restricted, mm-hmm. um, it's not that I, I don't think about it, mm-hmm. um, it's not just bigger, mm-hmm. that's for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. And what about in terms of your own career, you know, what, what are things that you're excited about potentially doing in the future?
2: Um, so I enjoy the role that I have, the, the total autonomy. Mm-hmm. Complete autonomy that I have. um, I don't know if I'm cut out long term for that for the for an isolated without
3: mm-hmm.
2: a, a, a peer group that are in the same country mm-hmm. as me or um, because I really do enjoy bouncing. I'm a extreme introvert, mm-hmm. which people don't get, but mm-hmm. I am. Yeah. But I enjoy that group
3: yeah.
2: culture and then go away and be on your own.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, I,
1: uh... So your husband, uh, <laughs> uh, well darling, I know that we're back in in Queensland, but let's go to New Zealand.
2: So that's not off the cards. Sure. Um, you know, our CEO is relatively new in the role, mm-hmm. um, probably, I think this is his second month. Okay. Um, but that's not off the cards.
3: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm, okay. Uh, you know, I'm ambitious. Mm. I want to, to be the best possible version of myself. hmm Um... So nothing's off the cards, mm-hmm. but we'll always come back to Queensland.
1: Mm-hmm. It's interesting, just as a aside, you mentioned about being an extreme introvert. Uh, I know for myself, I'm an, a very strong introvert, but I've learned to be extroverted in terms of how I you know, conduct myself in business. Mm. So people think, well, the introvert is the person who hides in the corner and uh, uh, is very shy and retiring, but um, you learn strategies to compensate it. And uh, and in fact, too, from an outsider's point of view, there's been no way that they'd think I'm an no. introvert, and probably the same thing for you too.
2: But home life, people know. So my my husband knows when I've had a, a day of full-on meetings. Yeah, I just need to go and download it myself and right. just sit, you know, and read and, a book. And read a book, or just just you know play with the dogs, or do something. But no, I, I don't think people. I forced myself out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which you have to do. Well, of course. You force yourself If you're yourself ambitious, for yeah. sure. But also, you know, I don't want to be isolated.
3: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you know, I like good banter, I like yeah. having a good conversation. Yep. So, you know, it's something I enjoy. I mm-hmm. just need to go away and sit in a dark room afterwards. Right, <laughs> oh, good stuff.
1: And uh, we've talked a lot about business today and your yep. professional career. Before we wrap it up, tell us a little bit about, you know, what Moira likes to do when she's not at work. Uh, what are, what are the kind of things that keep you energised and enthusiastic?
2: So I'm one of these F45 converts. Oh,
1: are you?
2: And I never thought the word mm. "let's go to the gym" would right. ever come out of my More mouth. Let alone
1: doing uh, what do they call those things? Um, burpees.
2: Oh uh, no, I don't do burpees. So I'm <laughs> one of the F45 people that stand there and go, "No, I don't do that." Right. And the you know the the um, the guys who run it just pretend that I'm not just standing there. Right. And they just walk past me. Um, so I go to f forty five not for fitness but for mental health. Mm-hmm. It's it's how I can switch off. Mm-hmm. So I go three days a week. It's six forty five at night time, and I sleep mm-hmm. really really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I have three dogs. so We walk the dogs a lot.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I'm on an acreage.
3: Okay. Um,
2: so that's you know as soon as you say acreage, that's maintenance. Yeah. I'm a homebody. I right. like being at home. I enjoy people coming to my home, mm-hmm. but I don't. Particularly like leaving it. That right. Often. And what about um, going
1: back to Scotland? How often do you do that?
2: So I, I'm lucky enough that my mum is retired. Mm-hmm. So I bring her out here. Right. So she just spent, and it was one of the most rewarding things ever because my mum worked all her life, single parent, every penny was a prisoner. Mm-hmm. Um, we brought her out for Christmas and she was in our swimming pool every day doing aquaerobics. Oh really? And just enjoying herself. Yeah. And to share that was just wonderful.
1: Right, my mum is retired and she loves aqua aerobics too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think for, for my mum's 76 this year and that's her thing.
2: Yeah, so I bring my mum out here because she's retired so she can be out here for 3, 4, 5 months.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, but obviously, I had to take my husband to show him Scotland right. and things like that. So we've been back three times, okay? Um, but only as a part of a visit, and then we'd go to Paris and right. Prague and pretend to the Scottish people that we heading straight back <laughs> to Australia yeah. and going to have a holiday. Yeah. But we're now um, we've now said we're not going to go back to Europe for a little while. We've okay. done the the states. Mm-hmm. We're now going to do Japan right. and Asia. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, Scotland, I. I find it really intimidating now, everybody sounds like me, yep. and everybody talks really fast. Right. But Edinburgh, during the festival, 9 o'clock at night when it's still daylight, mm. it's just a, It's one of the most beautiful places on earth.
1: Sure. I remember my year in Scotland, uh, the kids at school would call me Aussie Pringle, because <laughs> I don't know, is that some famous person from Scottish history or something? And uh, I tell you what, half the time I couldn't understand a word they were saying and they couldn't understand a word I was saying. Uh, It was my uh, education gap year.
2: (laughs) Dundee's a very, very strong accent. Right, right. Very strong. I remember um, being lost once and stopping in Dundee and I could not understand what the guy was saying. So you would have no chance. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, uh, Moira, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, Before we wrap it up, is there anything else you hoping to talk about or anything you'd like to leave the listeners with?
2: No you know I, I've been thinking about this obviously for the last three days or four days um, didn't think I had a story to share.
1: Well there you go, it wasn't and that painful was
2: no, it? No it wasn't, it was, it was quite um, therapeutic actually <laughs> I've got it all off my chest I interviewed a lady you
1: named know, Beck Mac recently and she said oh Richard that was like Session. Yeah. <laughs> so you know the first person so that we'll look at thanks again and have thank a you. fantastic afternoon
0: thank you, very much. thank you for listening to the arate podcast with richard trix we frequently feature guests from organisations we are currently recruiting to build the company brand as an attraction strategy for candidates. If you would like to promote your organisation's brand as an employer of choice, please contact Richard directly on 0403 588 517 or via email T at arateexecutive.com.au. The Arate podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air podcast network.